Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here this morning. Thanks to whoever took the mic out already. It's probably Kenlin. So it's not in my way. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> All right. So this has nothing to do with the message, but has anyone noticed that it stays daylight longer? Good. <laughs> so, so it's not all dark and cold and doom and gloom because it seems like it's, it's interesting. It's, it seems like it's just the beginning of the winter, even though, you know, we really haven't had winter up until yesterday. <clears throat> but I just, the other, the other night, I think it was Friday night. Maybe, actually, no, it was last night because there was snow on the ground already a little bit. It was 5.40, and I looked down, and I was like, the world, it's, it's still daylight. And uh, I will say the white ground definitely helps too. And I'm really looking forward to the next couple weeks because they are going to be cold. But generally speaking, when it's cold, we also see this little bright orb in the sky a whole lot more than we do when it's not. So I'm excited about that. Sorry for those of you who don't like the cold. <laughs> Where's Viola? <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> it's just good to find the little blessings when you can find them. All right, so this morning I'm going to go back to Revelation. It's been quite a while. Um, it was back before Christmas. Uh, kind of started... I read partway through Revelation chapter 10 and then pretty much took a detour out of there for that Sunday. So we're going to kind of pick up where we left off in going through. <clears throat> now I will I'll say beforehand that this is starting to get now into the part of Revelation that's a little bit more, uh, how do you want to say it, convoluted and harder to understand. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that I have as I've been going through this, you know, over the past number of months, <coughs> I have listened to some various, some various uh, authors and some books they've written. And it's been really good just to kind of add a perspective into what's going on. And one of the things that really helped me is, is this idea of, okay, where, what parts of Revelation are are meant to be taken literally and what parts are symbolic. And I think I mentioned this a while ago, but I'll, I'll say it again. And one of the things this guy mentioned is John actually tells you when something is symbolic. And the fact that he tells you when something is symbolic lends, lends some credence to the idea that when he doesn't say that, it's probably to be taken literally, generally speaking. It's kind of hard to make hard and fast rules when it comes to Revelation, but it's at least a general guide. And so we are still in, we are still in the part before John says, okay, this is now a symbol. So we'll do, that, do our best to take this as literally as possible. <clears throat> all right, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to read, I'm going to read all of chapter 10, and we'll go back through. I think I'm going to get into 11 today too. Because there's, there's not a lot of stuff in, well, I shouldn't say it like that. There's not something in chapter 10 that I'm really going to dive into deeply today. It's more or less a pretty short description. <clears throat> and uh, I actually did go into something that is said in the middle of that back before, uh, before Christmas. 
All right, so Revelation chapter 10, starting in verse 1 and reading through the whole chapter. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and I will, it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. <clears throat> All right, so there, a couple things I'm going to touch on here. <clears throat> um, if you remember, back in the middle of December... I preached a message called the mystery of God. And that's, that's based in verse 7 here. It says, this is what the angel says. He says, in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled. It would be done. It would be completed. Just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. And I went into that mystery of God and, and what it is. And I think it's pretty safe to say that is, that is just God's plan that he set forth to ultimately save humanity from the effects of sin that happened way back in Genesis. So this angel is saying, finally, you know, you've had all this, you've had all of human history, and finally this angel stands there and he's like, okay, in the days that the seventh trumpet sounds, it's all going to be done. And that's, that's pretty exciting to me. But anyway, I'm going to back up a little bit because I went into that mystery of God, so I'm not going to really go into that today. Talk a little bit about the angel. So, the question, one of the questions I ask is, well, who is this angel? And it's, there are different lines of thinking on that. Because it specifically just calls him an angel. But the description that he uses where he's wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, with a face like the sun and legs like pillars of fire... Sounds a whole lot like the description that John gives when he first gets to the throne room or when, when he sees Jesus, basically, the lamb. It's not exactly the same, but it's similar. You know, he sees God the Father with the rainbow over the, over the throne. Jesus specifically is described as having a face like the sun. 
And then in the description earlier here in Revelation, it says his feet are like burnished bronze, pretty much shining like, like fire. So it's, it's not exactly the same, but it's similar. So whether some people think that this is Jesus Christ himself, some people think it is one of the archangels, I don't really know, and honestly, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this question because it's not, I don't think it's super important on exactly who it is. <clears throat> but it is, I think, important what he represents. Whether this is Jesus or Gabriel, one of the archangels, or another one of the archangels, <clears throat> he, is, he is very close. He, he is a, at least, he's either Christ himself or a representative of all that Christ is. And if you notice, he's, he's got one foot on the sea and the other foot on the land. And I think that's pretty interesting because in this, in, the, in chapter 9, with, with some of these judgments that come, that come down on, on uh, the earth, actually, it's more than chapter 9. It starts in chapter 8, too. The trumpet judgments are almost all judgments on either the sea or the land. <clears throat> and if nothing else, it's, it's fairly simple. It's symbolic of either this angel is Christ or it is a symbol of what his authority is. Like he's standing on both of them. Like he owns it all. It's, it's, a, it's a symbol of ownership. You know, all of these crazy, there was these demonic things that came up out of the earth there in chapter 9. <clears throat> and that's a, it's a declaration that they are under my feet. Now, David talked about this. He, he talked about things being put under the feet of his Lord. And this is, this is a symbol. At the end of human history, Christ is standing there. And everything is under his feet. Whether it's in the sea, in the land, it just, it just means everything. And this, this whole thing of being wrapped in a cloud is kind of interesting too. So I looked, I looked a little bit, what, especially what the New Testament says about clouds. There's things in the Old Testament too. I mean, we know, we know that the presence of God or the angel of the Lord or the angel of Yahweh, we can have all kinds of discussions on who exactly this was, but his presence led the children of Israel in what? A pillar of cloud. It was fire by night and a cloud by day. <clears throat> and uh, so this, this imagery of clouds is always, it's not always, it's very often used in descriptions of God. And I, I think it's possible it is, it's kind of like a covering that is somewhat shielding us from the full glory of God and who he is because at this point yet we can't handle it <clears throat> we, we, we know that you know our, our eyes the way they are made now cannot handle the presence of God so anyway I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this too but the cloud very often is used when it's talking about descriptions of God for instance in the New Testament it's used that, that word is used 22 times and all but I think I think twice it's talking about it's some description of God. The, the two times 
that it's not talking about that is one time when Jesus said, you know, if you see a cloud rising in, in the west, you know the rain is coming. That's, that's one of the times. I think the other time is very similar to that. It's not exactly worded the same way. But all the rest of the time, it's talking about, um, for instance, at the transfiguration, the voice of God comes from a cloud, speaks to the disciples there. Um, when Jesus is baptized, it doesn't say that his voice came from a cloud, but it came from heaven. So it's very similar to what happened at the transfiguration. And then we all are very familiar with, with um, when Jesus ascended. He ascended and then he was, you know, he disappeared into the clouds. And then the angel said, just like you saw him go away, you will see him coming in the clouds. <clears throat> so this, this description of clouds, it's just tied to the presence of God. So that, like I said, I, I don't know that we know exactly what the identity of this angel is. It doesn't matter, but regardless, it's at least a very close representative of Christ or Christ himself. <clears throat> There's also a parallel between this passage and Ezekiel chapter 3. And in Ezekiel chapter 3, there is a, this is when the call of Isaiah happens. So there, there's an angel. It doesn't, doesn't say exactly that he is, you know, has a foot on the sea and a foot on the land, but it says he's over the, over the river, over the water. And it's the same thing where this angel in Ezekiel 3 is holding a scroll, and he tells Ezekiel, come and eat it. And he says the same thing he says to John. He says, it will be sweet in your mouth. It will taste like honey, but then afterwards it will make your stomach bitter. <clears throat> but there's, there's a difference then right after that. So I think it's fairly, fairly safe to say that this whole scroll business has something to do with the, the word of God, the message of God being given to this individual. In Ezekiel 3, it's Ezekiel. And here in Revelation, it's John. So there's a message given, and he's, he internalizes it, takes it in. And it's like, I'm sure some of us might have experienced this. When, when God gives you a message, there's, just, there's that moment of time when it's just, it's so sweet. I'm sure you can think of a time when, when maybe the message of God was just so special. There was a, a special time of, I don't know, maybe you were praying, maybe you were reading scripture, maybe you, whatever it was, but it was, it was just sweet because the presence of God was very close and he told you something. I think that's, that's the sweetness that, that he's talking about here. It's sweet to receive a message from God. The bitterness comes when you, after the, the sweetness has passed, and you start thinking, oh, oh, what is this message now? Because in Ezekiel's case, it was not a good message for his people. It was a message of judgment and destruction to the children of Israel. And in John's case, it is a message of judgment and destruction on the entire world. That's what makes it bitter in the end. And that, that's where the, the similarities diverge there. So in Ezekiel's case, 
he very specifically says, okay, I've given you this message. Now go and give it to the children of Israel. <clears throat> and here, at the very end, in, in verse 11, it says, And I was told, this is after he has eaten the scroll, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So John has specifically said, your message is now basically, I think, for the whole world, the rest of the world. This is not a message for the Jewish people necessarily. It's a message to the rest of the world. <clears throat> and one thing, one other thing I want to touch on before we go to chapter 11 is how many of you read this and are like, man, why didn't he say what the thunder said? I do. <laughs> I don't like when things are, when they, I mean, it's like he's teasing you, but then it's, ah, no, you're not supposed to know that now. <clears throat> this is the only time in all of the book of Revelation when something is sealed up not to be given. Think of it. We call it Revelation, the apocalypse. That's the revealing. So everything else about Revelation is, is this opening up and a revealing of God's message to basically the entire world. But here, for some reason, he says, nope, don't say it. <clears throat> and it's another kind of interesting parallel. If you go back and, and read the book of Daniel, at the very end, Daniel is basically told the same thing. He, he asks, starts asking some questions, and he says, nope, not now. That, that, that knowledge is for the time of the end, which incidentally, I think, some of that message that Daniel heard there right at the end of the book of Daniel is actually what is now revealed to us in the book of Revelation. But anyway, something about the seven thunders sounding, God just doesn't want us to know. And I don't know what it is. And I, honestly, I don't think we should spend just a whole lot of time on what God specifically says. No, you don't need to know that right now. Um, I'm sure those of you who have children, especially who are a little bit older and old enough to ask questions, I'm sure they've asked you a question or two, and you're like, well, not now, <laughs> but later. There will be a time. And I think that's, that's more or less what God's doing here. <clears throat> maybe, it's, maybe it's about the judgments that are to come that are, that are more than he wanted us to hear, or more, more than we can handle right now. I don't know. But anyway, we're going, that, that pretty much wraps up chapter 11. It's just, if you look at what's actually happening, it's pretty short. It's this angel comes down, stands on the sea and the land, proclaims that when the seventh trumpet sounds, the mystery of God will be fulfilled, and then he gives the message, gives a message to John, and says, okay, now you have to go prophesy to Basically, not the Jewish nation, but now the rest of the world. And then we, we jump into chapter 11. <clears throat> and this one, I, I will not get through chapter 11. I know that for sure. So I'm going to read, I think I'm just going to read to verse 14. All right, so chapter 11, starting verse 1. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff. And I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out. 
for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky, that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying, and they have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that, is, that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where, the Lord, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some of the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because the two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Now, I will read verse 15. I wasn't going to, but I will. Verse 15 says this then. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. And I'll just leave it at that. We're not going to get into the seventh trumpet today. But remember, the angel declared when the seventh, in, the, in the days when the seventh trumpet sounds, then it will all be finished. <clears throat> what happens here then in chapter 11 is very interesting. I, honestly, I had never really thought about it until I was preparing for this this morning. <clears throat> So, okay, you have the two witnesses. I'm sure you're, you're all familiar with this, have heard this. Who are the witnesses? This is, this is one of those um, probably somewhat unimportant questions that we ask, but we're humans and we like to know things, and so we ask these questions. And there's kind of three, three lines of thinking on who, who the witnesses are. And I honestly, I'm not going to stand up here this morning and tell you I know which one it is because I'm not sure it's that important, but I'm at least going to mention it. So one line of thinking says the two witnesses are Moses and Elijah. Um, there's, there's some good reasoning for that. Um, one of them is, you know, who showed up at the transfiguration? It was Moses and Elijah. And here at the beginning it says, when, when, uh, uh, where is it here? <clears throat> okay, in verse 3, it says, this is obviously God speaking. I will grant authority to my two witnesses. 
Like he, he has an intimate knowledge of these people. Like they are, they're specially handpicked for this purpose. Uh, another thing that lends itself toward the Moses and Elijah thing is what they have, the, the things that they do. And the first one in verse 5, it says, Fire pours from their mouths and consumes their foes. This is something that Elijah did uh, during his lifetime. So when uh, he, he had made some, pro or how do I say this? I didn't write this down, but I read it, and I'll, I'll just kind of paraphrase what was going on. So the king fell and was sick. He was, he was hurt. And so he sent, I think his name was Ahaziah, if I remember right. He, he said to some of his, his men, he said, go to Beelzebub, Beelzebub, the king, the, basically the, the god of the local area there. And he said, go, go ask him if I'm going to be okay. And so on their way to go there, they met up with Elijah and he told them, no, no, your king's not going to be okay. He's actually going to die. And they went, you know, they went back to the king and they told, they told this, hey, we met up with this man of God. And he said, nope, you're, you're done. You're going to die. And he's like, well, tell me a little bit about this guy. <laughs> and they said, well, he's, uh, he wears a garment of, of hair. And right away, he's like, yep, that's, that's Elijah. <laughs> and he's like, go, go get rid of him. He didn't like Elijah at all. And so he sent 50 men to go and kill Elijah. Well, Elijah was up on top of a hill. And they come up there and he's like, you're coming to get me, huh? <laughs> and he's like, if I'm a man of God and if I'm actually telling the truth, fire's going to come down and consume you guys. So, boom. There came the fire down from heaven and just consumed him. Well, that wasn't enough because... The king found out about this and was like, okay, well, I'm going to send another 50. How would you have liked to have been in that 50? So it just surprises me sometimes. You know, we're, we come from, you know, we were born in America, and generally speaking, we're, you know, we're kind of free thinking. And, you know, if, if one of us would have been said, okay, those guys got, they just got burned up a fire, go over there and try to get that guy. We'd probably say, no way, I'm not doing that. But in those days, you know, People were in service of their king, and they just did what they were told. Like, they didn't have a choice. They just went and did it. It's hard for us to understand that sometimes because we're, you know, we're here. But anyway, again, another 50 went, and the same thing happened. And just like that, they were eaten up by fire. So anyway, that is something that happened in Elijah's life. And it's the same thing that's, that it says will happen here with the two witnesses. And then the next thing, well, and also the power to shut the sky, that's another thing that happened during Elijah's time. That was during the, the time of Mount Carmel there. <coughs> and then the, uh, the next one, it says, and the waters turn to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. That sounds a whole lot like what Moses did. You know, he turned the Nile into blood and there was a whole bunch of other plagues there. <coughs> so... I don't know, but those things, they do lend toward either it, either it is actually Moses and Elijah or it is, it is someone coming in that spirit. Kind of like John the Baptist, you know, he, he, I don't think he was actually the same Elijah, but Jesus said, you know, he comes in the spirit of Elijah, so regardless. 
the other, there's another line of thinking that says this is Elijah and Enoch. Because why? Because, okay, did they die? No, they did not die. They were taken up, both of them. And that's the only two human beings that, is, that are recorded in Scripture that did not die. And then there's another verse that says, well, it's appointed unto man once to die, and then comes judgment. And so people say, okay, well, they didn't die, so there must be those two, because here at the end, then they will die. So then that makes it all good because everybody, it says everybody's appointed to die. Well, there is a little problem with that because 1 Thessalonians, when it's talking about the rapture, when we'll be taken up, there's people that won't die, right? Some will be taken up. Those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the air and will be changed. So there will be not everyone will die. Some will be taken up without dying. Anyway, I don't know. It kind of takes that argument a little out of the water because it's very much just cherry picking things and saying, well, this is, this is how it works here, so it's, it's got to work like that over here. I don't know. And then the other, the other line of thinking is that this is just two people, two ordinary believers that will be alive during this time, and God will choose them, and they will do their prophesying. I don't know. I probably lean toward the Elijah and Moses thing, but I don't know. And I'm not sure, like I said, I'm not sure that it really matters that much. <clears throat> I guess I kind of jumped over the, the measuring measuring rod I'm not quite sure why he's told to measure things and then he doesn't say it doesn't say what it what size it is <clears throat> but I if nothing else he okay he's told to rise and measure the temple of God this is one of those passages that people take and say okay well there must be a third temple built because here you know John's measuring the temple and there's no temple right now to measure and I don't know. <laughs> I would probably lean toward that too just because Israel is actually preparing to build another temple. Supposedly they have all like all the building materials stockpiled and ready to go. They have a lot of the priestly vestments made. They're trying to breed the red heifer cows to get these these pure heifers for sacrifice. It's, it's not a stretch at all in our time right now to, for this thing to be built. Now, the, the one big problem is that there's a mosque up there on top of, of uh, you know, the Temple Mount. However, I think that is a small enough problem that God can take care of that. Um, all I know is that here, there is a temple that he's told to measure. And I don't know, the thing that, that says right there in verse 2, it says, don't measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out for it's given over to the nations. Maybe there is, maybe they will build the temple beside the other, that mosque there. I don't know. It, it would make sense. Obviously, this is looking at this passage through the lens of, hey, we're in 2023, and this is what we see. So, it's, a, it's like looking through a keyhole. It totally, something could totally change by the time that this actually happens. But, I mean, that's the best we have because this is who, where we are right now. 
But it is fascinating that it says don't measure that outside because it's given over. So there, there's a, at least a place in close proximity that is the Gentile place. <clears throat> All right, so back to the witnesses. They will prophesy for 1260 days, which is 42 months, which is three and a half years. <clears throat> and then, obviously, the people of the world do not appreciate the message that they have, and there are people that try to kill them, obviously, because it says, you know, if someone tries to harm them, they're burned up with fire. Fire comes out of their mouth and burns them up, just like happened in Elijah's day. <clears throat> now, after the three and a half years, their time is done. Their prophecy is done, and then they are killed. Now, let's think about this. Let's put on our 2024. It's not 2023. I just said 2023. It's 2024. We'll put on our 2024 glasses because that's where we are right now. It's not really hard to do that. <clears throat> so let's say that right now two guys show up over in Jerusalem and they start giving a message of, I mean, it's pretty clear. I think this is going to be a message of judgment. I think it's going to be a pretty clear message, more or less saying, Kind of what Jonah said to Nineveh. Hey, you guys, you're doing this and this and this and this and this. And if you don't repent and do something else, God will destroy you. I think it's going to be a pretty clear message. So if that would happen right now, do you think we would know about it? Yep. Do you think there's anybody around the entire world that wouldn't find out about that. I don't think so. Especially not now because, you know, there's this little country over there called Israel and for some reason the whole world is infatuated with Israel right now. Right now. <clears throat> but in our time, we have the technology, we have all this capability so that if these two witnesses show up, especially for three and a half years and especially... You know, maybe for the first six months, nobody really pays much attention to him. And then finally, it's not hard at all to see a couple of um, Hamas terrorists or somebody goes and tries to kill them, and boom, fire comes out of their mouth and kills them. If the world didn't know about him before that, they sure will then. And this gives me a little chills to think about this. The message, it is, it is, what they're giving is the message of the gospel. Yes, it's a message of judgment, but God's message of judgment is always given with the answer to it, right? <clears throat> so, the message of the gospel, a very clear either repent and turn to God or else God will judge you. That message will go around the entire world. I think every, every ear will hear that message. <clears throat> and something I had, not, I had not thought about before as pertains to the two witnesses. 
So here we have all this stuff that has happened up to this point. You'd think that everybody already has heard a very clear message of the gospel, right? Throughout this tribulation period. But yet, God in his mercy <clears throat> takes a break right in the middle of this time and for three and a half years and in I think it's going to seem like an eternity to the people who are hearing this it's like over and over and over on the news on all these places there's this this is what's going on here's what the witnesses say <clears throat> For three and a half years, his, his judgment is halted. And he's saying for the last time, remember the angel said when the seventh trumpet sounds, it's all in that time, it's going to be done. The judgment will then be complete. And even so, God in his mercy and his justice says that when I actually get to the seventh trumpet, once the seventh trumpet sounds, everyone will be without excuse. Because they have heard, they have understood, and they have either repented, or they have either turned their back on God. And so that by the time the seventh trumpet sounds, everyone will get what they deserve. There can be no, there can be no inkling of someone saying, well, that's, it's not fair because I didn't know. I didn't know this was coming. For three and a half years, these guys will say what they have to say. And every year we'll hear. <clears throat> and it, it doesn't say here if anyone repents, I don't know. You'd think some will. But we don't know. So then after that three and a half years, after it is 100% sure that everyone has heard and is now without excuse, God's protection is taken off of these witnesses. And the beast comes and he kills them. And for three and a half days, I'm not quite sure why three and a half days. But for three and a half days, the bodies lay in the city. And that's probably going to be newsworthy too. Here it is. You know, for three and a half years, people have tried probably multiple times to take these guys out. And they, they're burned up by fire. And then why all of a sudden one day something, I mean... Their protection is gone, and boom, they're dead, and they're laying there. And look at what the people do. Those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents. Because these two prophets who had been a torment to those, had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. Is that not about the most arrogant thing? that can be done they're saying you are tormenting me these people are without excuse at this point they're completely 
and utterly without excuse. And they have a holiday over the fact that these, are, these guys are killed. Finally, the still small voice in the back of my head is dead. Because I'm tired of hearing it. And then they're, they're taken up. And then there's a great earthquake. <clears throat> so I want to be careful not to take something out of here that is not meant. <clears throat> you know, this is, this is talking about the time of the end. It's making very clear the world will be without excuse. God will have given every possible opportunity to repent and then probably more because that's God's nature <clears throat> that's that's simply what it's telling us but as I was as I was finishing up I was just thinking okay so what what does this mean for us right now <clears throat> because I think there is something that it means for us What do we do with the prophets that speak into our heads or into our lives? Every single one of us will have a time. Maybe it's, maybe it's now for some of you. Maybe it's not for others. <clears throat> but there is, there is times when a witness comes <clears throat> and speaks to you. And maybe points something out. Hey, what about this in your life? What about that? <clears throat> the most natural fleshly response to that is, I don't want to hear it, right? And we try to silence the witnesses. That's, that's, that's what our flesh wants to do. I'm not saying we all do that every time, but that's what we want to do. And sometimes I'm sure we do. <clears throat> Whether it's a, someone, a brother or sister, telling us something, or whether it's that still small voice, the Holy Spirit in the back, in the back of your head telling you, hey, this is something that's not okay. I want this out of your life. <clears throat> Do we kill the prophets in our own life? That's Israel did it over and over. That is the that is the the fallen human response. Get rid of the prophet. Get rid of the, the voice that's telling me this. <clears throat> that's what the people of the earth want to do during this three and a half years. And I would I would beg us myself included, to not silence the voice of the prophet that speaks to you. Because the voice of the prophet, the voice of the Holy Spirit, is actually the mercy of God. Especially for someone who is his child already. <clears throat> the voice of the prophet speaks to us because God wants to take something that is detrimental to us and take it out and replace it with a little bit more of him. So 
So I want to leave that with us. What do you do with the voice of the witness in your life?